Here we go. Okay. Faithful. Here's a question. Do you think you can be more faithful? What do you think? Do you think in your lifestyle that you've already ramped up to the 100 meter, that you're 100% and say, I I can't improve in my faithfulness? Well, I want to let you know that we can all improve in being more faithful. It's important to understand in this message in the series, Don't Lose Heart, Be Faithful in a Faithless World. Here's what Luke 18 verse 8 says. Now try this on for size. This is the king of the universe. He said, when I, the son of man, return, how many will I find on earth who have faith? In other words, this is what Jesus is saying. When I return, how many am I going to find that have faith? Eight to 10,000 churches a year closing, three million less church attenders. How many am I going to find? So I want to share with you a couple things. If you can let your cranium and the gray matter between your ears that let the Holy Spirit speak to your spirit, man. That you're wide open and say, for the next few minutes, God, I'm going to ask you to say something to me that I can do to change a little bit, move the needle a little bit. But here's what we know. God's looking for faithful people. 2 Chronicles 16, 9, it says, The eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro across the earth, looking for people whose hearts are perfect toward him so that he can show his great power in helping them. A perfect heart comes from the power of redemption and and faithfulness to God. Number two, he says faithful people are hard to find. That's in today's culture. It's hard to find. Proverbs 20, verse 6, everyone talks about how faithful he is, but it is difficult to find someone who really is. So, whoa, that just pins me back in my seat. We all talk about how faithful we are. But he said, hey, I want to I see the proof. Number three, faithfulness is the key to the blessing and victory. Faithfulness is the key. Not a psychiatrist, not a psychologist. Here's what the Scripture, 1 John 5, 4 and 5. Every child of God can defeat the world, and it is our faith, my faith, that which I have in possession in Jesus, that gives us the victory, and no one can defeat the world without having faith in Jesus as the Son of God. So I want to be a winner, i got to have faith in Jesus Christ. I want to defeat the world, i got to have faith in Jesus Christ. Proverbs 28, verse number 20, a faithful man, a faithful man, will be richly blessed. So we know that the foundation to success, blessing, anointing, and favor is I choose to be faithful. Well, faithful in what? Just, okay, I show up to church, et cetera, et cetera. I'm faithful to witness. I'm faithful, of course, in my giving. I'm faithful in, uh, in the uh, arena of, of walking the straight life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we find that victory is found in our faith. So I got that down. Now I'm on a journey. All right, God, I'm going to need your help to help me in a few areas. And so those are the few that I want to help you with. God uses little things to test our integrity. How many of you know that integrity is important? Say amen. Amen. Chooses the little things. Someone said uh, that uh, major crises are what creates leaders. Major crises don't create leaders. Major crises reveal leaders. Think about it. They don't create leaders. Oh, I'm in a crisis. Now I've got to be a leader. But a major crisis says it reveals the leader that's already there. I step to the plate. It's the integrity in the small unseen things that no one else would know, it, know anything about. 
when it would be easier to tell a lie and you get away with it instead of telling the truth. That's not integrity. When it's important, you say, I was courteous even though I don't like my neighbor. That's integrity. When loving that neighbor is important, that's integrity. And here's what Luke 16, 10, Jesus is doing the talking here. Whoever is faithful in small matters will be faithful in large one, and whoever is dishonest in small matters will be dishonest in large ones. I had someone not long ago that told me about an individual that I know, that I know attends church, that she happened to be in a place when that individual came in and blew his stack all across the room. I mean ripping and snorting and just raising his voice, and I mean shaking all over. And, and that individual said to me, because we know that person together, I was really disappointed in what I saw in that person you see, the point is, God's got His all-seeing eye on us all the time. And Jesus said, if you've not been faithful with that which belongs to someone else, who will give you what belongs to you? My dad taught me, one of the things that he taught me is this, if you borrow something, you give it back in better condition than when you got it. If you borrow a truck, you be sure that truck's cleaned up, washed up, waxed up, polished up. You return it just like and better than when you received it. How many of you think that's a pretty good lesson that we all ought to learn? So here's what Jesus is saying. He said, if I give you talent, I give you skill set, I give you favor, I give you the health to be able to, to make a living, I give you all the favor and time and talents and giftings. He said, hey, take that which I've given to you and make it better. But he said, be careful that you don't let the little things spoil the integral part of your life. God said, remember that. Number two, God often uses my talents to test my unselfishness. How many of you know somebody that's selfish? How many know somebody that's unselfish? Okay. How many don't know anybody? You just don't know anybody. You, you, thank God. You, you don't know anybody. So he said, the reality is this. There are two choices in my life. Everybody. Two choices. One is this. I can be self-centered and self-serving. Or I can, in fact, not be self-centered and self-serving. I can live for greater things in Jesus Christ and say that it is not about me. I don't live for myself. I live for someone else that's greater than me. And the kingdom of God wants to give all of us the opportunity to say, live bigger than you are. Don't serve yourself. In other words, deny yourself is what he actually says. Take up your cross and follow. And let your life be for other people. Let your life shine through the touch of Jesus Christ. Don't brag. If you do brag, do what Paul did. Brag on what Jesus Christ did in and through his own life. And God has given you talents and giftings and those kind of things. See, when you live to yourself, you're taking it all now, but you know what your life is? It's a vapor. It's here today, and it is gone tomorrow. Here today and gone tomorrow. Rick Pion, who's one of our uh, team members here in the maintenance division, been with us for a long time. Rick had a motorcycle accident on Friday. He's here faithfully to work every single day. His motorcycle went under the car. He has two crushed vertebrae. He had 
his arms broken in five or six places. His leg is broken. His aorta split. He had a brain bleed. He also has other broken ribs, et cetera, et cetera. But he is alive today. Why? Because of the favor of Jesus Christ. But listen carefully, friend. His life changed forever that fast. Just that fast. So you see the value of understanding, I'll wait to a better time to become more faithful and more committed. I'll wait for a better time to use the talents and the gifts that God has given me. Use them today. 1 Peter 4.10 says, each one should use whatever gifts he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. He said, God has gifted us fully to serve others. You see, talent is a muscle. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. Anything that needs exercise that you don't, it reduces in its ability. And when God says, okay, I favored you with this, favored you with this, favored you with this, and giving you talent, giving you a gift. Now, here's what I want to know. I want to know what you're doing with it. Paul steps to the plate and said, I'll tell you what you need to do. First Corinthians 4 verse 2. Now it is required. This is the apostle Paul. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. It's required. It's required. Delta over here is ministering to people in Africa. Why? She finally awakened a number of years ago and said, this is a trust that God has given me. That's how it works. Her husband over there, the Florida Gator fan, Mike, his trust and talented and in therapy and and helping people who have limbs that are broken and need that therapy. That, that's his business. That's his business. Our good brother over here understanding so many, many different things in life and saying, all right, God, you've given me what it is. Now, is that about is that about me? Frank Kendrick, New Jack, got a great award. He's not working unto himself. I read he's sharing it with a lot of different, gives his tithe here, but a lot of other wonderful charitable gifts away. Why? Because we learn if you want more and you want to be blessed by God, learn to understand we give it all back to God. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. Paul says it's required. You got it? You, I require it. Number three, God uses tough times to teach me persistence. I know some of you, you just walk through the tulips and you never have any real trials. I, 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 look, I look at some of you and I think, you know, I don't even think they've ever had their hands dirty. You ever said, boy, things just seem to fall into their lap like Ronnie Ortega's. It's just so easy. Falls right in his lap. That's because of Denise. Just falls in his lap. That's not true. Anybody that you see that is making their market successful, friend, they are paying and have paid a price. But what made it come to pass? It is, in fact, being faithful. The difference between faithful people and unfaithful people is unfaithful people give up at the first sign of difficulty. Well, I tried it. I didn't like it, so I'm going to quit. Faithful people keep on keeping on. They are determined. They're diligent. They're persistent. They don't need you to come give them a cheerleading. They don't need you to come coach them. They know, hey, I made this commitment. This process, I quit, is not in my vocabulary. Turnaround is not a part of their strategy. Closing their eyes to reality is not in their instinct. They say, I'm not hiding from a problem. I see it. I'm going to hit it face on by the grace of God. We don't give up. We don't quit until we go up. A little acorn becomes an oak tree. An oak tree is just a little acorn 
acorn that refused to give up. It just keeps giving on. Someone asked me the other day, how did you become to be lead pastor of Victory Church? I said, I show up every Sunday. Doing what you're supposed to do on a consistent basis and saying, God, this is my priority. Serving you, serving your church, and touching the lives of other people. If I can get those three down, you will take care of my family. You'll take care of my home. You'll take care of my business. You'll take care of everything else in my life if I just get those things straightened out. Just get them straightened out. Just get them straightened out. Listen carefully to that. I'm not backing up or giving up. You see, we understand. I know that Jesus Christ is the answer, and our faith doesn't work unless we put it into practice. There have been times I have knocked on the gates of heaven and saying, God, you have to do something, and kept knocking until I got an answer. But, oh, yeah, Paul says, let me give you something else. 2 Corinthians 4.16, he says, for all of you listening, this is why we never give up. Why? Because he said, through, though your bodies are dying, your spirits are being renewed every day. Your body's dying, but your spirit's being renewed. Our present troubles are quite small, and they won't last very long. But they will produce an unmeasurably great glory that will last forever. There's something that God's interested in more than what you do. It's who you are. This is what I figured out. If the who, you get the who right, the what will automatically fall in place. The who, get it right, and the what will automatically fall in place. So here's what God does. Look at it this way. God gives us favor when we're facing something that tests us and stretches us. So when that happens to you and you've got a mountain that you need to climb or you've got a position that say, I've got to fulfill this task, what are you mouthing? What are you saying? I don't know if I can what are you saying? I'm not up to it. Change your vocabulary. Start saying, God, if you didn't think I couldn't do this, you'd have never given me the opportunity. If you didn't think I could make it, you never would have opened the door. God, if you didn't have the faith and the trust in me, you could have given it to a million, million other people, but you chose me. And since you chose me, dear Lord, I'm going to do it. And you can get your own walk when you make your mind up and say, I happen to be the one that God has called. Come on, put your hands together and help me preach this morning. We don't waffle. Paul says in Galatians 6, 9, don't get tired of doing what's right, what you're called to do. You'll be rewarded when the time is right if you do not give up. It's the, I call it the great theologian. You're going to know who I'm talking about. One of the greatest theologians of all time, Forrest Gump. <laughs> Forrest Gump, the great theologian. You know that I'm kidding. For, Forrest, I don't know. He didn't have a full house. It didn't appear that way. But it's amazing through life. How many of you know that one thing Forrest Gump did in the movie is he just didn't give up. He, he, didn't, he didn't have, it, it didn't appear he knew what that meant. So you know there was a time, how many's ever seen the movie? Just raise your hand. How many's never seen the movie? Be sure you see it. How many don't give a rip, don't care, period. It's what I thought. Missing a good opportunity to learn something. But old Forrest had a boat for fishing. He thought it's a fishing boat. If it's a fishing boat, Forrest thought it fishes. It fit the boat. There it is. 
So a big storm came in about what hit over in uh, Texas. And all the other guys who owned boats and all the other fishermen and all the other company that had boats, they tied their boats up, called them in, and anchored them down and told Forrest, you better get yours anchored down. And Forrest said, well, my boat was to fish. So I'm going to go out fishing. I'm going to catch something. I'm going to capture shrimp, whatever else. So what's he do? You know, the story takes his boat and off he goes. The storm beat the living daylights out of his boat. He can't hardly stay on his boat. But finally, the winds came down. And what did he, he, he pulled in a harvest of seafood like nothing you have ever seen in your life. All the other boats were gone, crushed, torn apart. Guess who now owns the seafood market? Forrest Gump does. He does. That's why you have Forrest Gump shrimp restaurants today that you can go to. Because he won. He won. Why? You know what happens? When other people pull their boats in and other people get lazy and other people get tired, other people talk about how bad it's going to be, other people talk about what they got to give, other people talk about what it cost them, other people talking about they're just worn out. Other, get your boat, get out there and begin to sail and represent Jesus Christ. I got to tell you, in the midst of every storm, he'll give you guidance and protection and divine anointing. Amen? You believe that? Say amen. Last week, I talked about the insects and food. How many of you remember that? Talked about you, but somebody walked up and gave me some chocolate roaches today. Chocolate insects, they are in my box out there. I intend to eat them right after church today. You, you take advantage of all those opportunities. I had a pumpkin pie one time that we went home with a lady after church in one of our pastorates, and she set the pie like they do on Andy Griffin, uh, Griffith and, and set the pie in the window sill. And when church was over, she took the pie, it was a pumpkin pie, and served it up. Well, naturally, I mean, if you're a preacher and you go home with somebody, you feel obligated to eat what they fixed. You, you understand? You don't ask, I wonder if it's clean. If you go, you eat, clean or not. <laughs> and as you can tell, I got that down pretty good, buddy. I don't know why you're laughing, but that pumpkin pie, I picked the pumpkin stuff, the stuff, and ants were underneath the filling and the crust. I mean, just loaded. They came out. I thought, oh, Lord. But the Bible said, you eat any stinging thing, any poison. God will give you grace. I just downed those ants. Didn't bother me whatsoever. I thought, you little devils, if you think you're going to run me off a piece of pumpkin pie, you got another thought coming. This is my pie. I'm going to eat it. You just, you just say, you see, your stories are not right. No, they're all right. They all happen to me. You propagate the gospel. Let me get on. God uses shortages to test my generosity. How many, how many of you sometimes you never had anything? I ain't got nothing. Say that with me. I ain't got nothing. That's yard talk. I ain't got nothing. Say it with me again. I ain't got nothing. All you educators out there, forgive me. But you know, some of the greatest miracles come out of nothing. Some of the greatest blessing come out of pain and ashes. Faithful people are generous when they don't have anything to give. God provides us an illustration with that when Paul's talking about the church in Macedonia. 
He wrote to the church at Corinth. He said, hey, church at Corinth, you high and mighty guys. Let me tell you about a church over in Macedonia. Macedonia, they're striving. It's hardship. It's difficult. They don't have a lot of things. They're struggling. But we took an offering. They took an offering. And I've got to tell you, that offering was supernatural. It went beyond their ability to give into the realm of supernaturally. But here was the key, church at Corinth. They were willing to do it. They gave out of nothing. When you think you don't have any more to give, that's the best time to give. Be faithful to God as you understand it. I remember that because of Lilybell. I talked, how many's ever heard me talk about Lilybell? A few of you have. How many's never heard of Lilybell? That's good. Like the rest of you don't know. How many of you online have heard about Lilybell? Go ahead and raise your hand. Thousands. God bless y'all. A pastor down in Mulberry took the church. It was in a, in a neighborhood. Church filled up, blew up in a great way. People parking all over the place, lawns and neighbors complaining and all that went with it. And we had to buy a piece of property, bought a piece of property from a man who, who comes to the first service here at Victory. And um, the Bangkok Corporation Company, I was able to communicate with them, the executive vice president of Badcocks. Gave his heart to Jesus Christ, filled with the Spirit. Mr. Wogan Badcock, senior, I was able to talk and minister to him and, and the family. But anyway, as the church just exploded, we had young people, I mean, young people on drugs and alcohol. Uh, one, the city police chief, his, uh, his young person to Jesus, the, the mayor's child, one to Jesus, and some of you that attend here. Right now, I remember that. But it was in my office one day, and, and a black, precious black lady uh, came in. I saw her walk down the hallway. She was slumped over, and uh, she had a fan, a funeral home fan. Uh, I walked out. Hi, how are you doing? May, may I help you? She said, I'm looking for the pastor. Uh, she said, my name is Lily Bell. I said, well, I'm the pastor. What can I do for you? And she said, I, I want to ask you a question. She stood up. She said, I had, a, I had a cab bring me over here, taxi, and I, I, want, I want to know. She was elderly, but back then everybody looked elderly to me. If you were over 70, you were elderly. Now, to me, everybody looks primrose young. It's unbelievable. I want to know if I can go to church here. Now, Mulberry, check the history, had a mulberry tree. And on any Saturday morning, many, many, many years ago, you'd see five, seven, ten black people hanging from their necks from just a Saturday night hanging. The CB name for Mulberry was Hanging Town. And when she came and asked me, I had never in my life had anybody ask me if they could come to church. It was usually me trying to persuade them to come to church. And God sent me one person that asked, can she come? I said, sure. Why, why not? You know, I, I, want, I want to come. Lily Bell, uh, I said, Lily Bell, give me your address. She's over in the project. And I said, I'll, I'll see, have somebody, Iris Moore, uh, who, who ran a filling station there to pick her up. And she went by and picked Lily Bell up. And that Sunday morning, Lily Bell um, came right down the front row. 
Oh, no back seat for her, buddy. At this stage in her life, probably at that time, she was 83, maybe more. She came to the front row. I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm looking. That's back when you sat on the platform, and I'm, here comes Lilybell. And then I looked at the all-white audience that lived in a town that's known as a hanging town. Then I thought, <clears throat> well, so I, uh, I usually plow right in to problems, you know. It's like, why wait? If, it, if it's going it's to be a showdown, let's go get it. Anybody know what that's like? Just why wait for them to give you the right hook? Go get close enough so they can't give you the hook. Just get right to him. And I, I went right down to Lilybell. I paused to get a drink of water and then I went down to Lilybell. <laughs> Lilybell, stand up. She was shaking. I put my arm around her. We didn't have any cameras. And I said, turn around, Lilybell. Let's look at these people. I said, Lilybell, friend, folks, this is my friend, Lilybell. She asked me if she could come to church. And I said, I told her she could. I said, Little Bell, how do you feel? Now, Little Bell couldn't read or write. She said, I feel loved. That congregation stood up and they clapped and clapped and clapped and lapped, clapped, and I wept. Little Bell turned and smiled at me. She didn't have any teeth. She smiled at me and I thought, God bless you. You're really, really special. She broke that ice. Well, we're going to a major building program. I love building programs, don't you? I love raising money. I love encouraging people because every time you give, God's going to bless. That's how I feel. It's just how I feel. You give it up, God's going to say it's going up, and then I'm going to bring it back, multiply it's coming back down. Amen? Just the way it is. So it's the way it works. So find something you say, I'm going to give it up. So, so we're in the building program, and I'm, I'm saying I'm going to start a fundraiser, folks. We're blowing and going at the seams. We're trying to sell this building that we're in now. We purchased new property out there, and we're going to have to build, and I'm going to have to have a major capital campaign, fundraiser, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, now many people, because the church had grown, they, they paid their tithe, but you had to squeal it out of their hand to get them to pay the tithe, some of them. I had some that if they made, you know, their tithe would be, you know, like $57.49. I mean, right down. I'm saying, feel great. They just throw a $50 bill in there and forget it. But anyway, that's okay. It's 10%. So I, I get a call. Louise, my uh, secretary, that's what we called them then before we gave them a new title to executive assistant. But she was a secretary back then. And she said, Lilybell wants to talk to you. I said, Lilybell wants to talk to me? Sure. Now, she'd been coming for three, four, five months then. And so, Lilybell, how are you doing? She said, could you come to my house? And I said, well, tell me where you live. And she told me where she lived. And I said, okay, uh, I'll be over there trying to get there next week. No, I want you to come now. I thought, well, Okay. I got in the car, drove up, what was it, five minutes from the church. Pulled in front of her little apartment, got out, went in, and she stood up, smiling from ear to ear, beautiful smile, hugged me, I hurt Lilybell. What 
what can I do for you, okay? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Be back in a minute. She went in, she went in her bedroom. She only had one, one, it was the living room. The kitchen was a part of that, and the bedroom. She went in the bedroom, she came out with this soiled handkerchief. And it was balding. She said, uh, I have this right here from my burial. It's my burial to pay for my grave and my stone. But I want, I want to give it to the building program that you're doing. I said, Isabel, what, is this your burial fund? Yeah, she said, I hide it. Because she said some of my kids and maybe my grandkids would come, and if they knew I had it, they would take it from me. But I want you to have it. I said, Lilyville, that's, that's designated money. I can't take your burial money. Now, I, I pushed a button. Until then, she had been sweet. She was on my side. She was loving. Until she finally raised her voice and pointed her finger at me and said, you cannot rob me. You cannot rob me from a blessing. You cannot do it. I saw you've been watching Oral Roberts. God bless you, Oral. But anyway, you cannot rob me from a blessing. And I said, but Lily Bell, I can't do it. She said, no, sir, you're going to take my money. Yes, ma'am. I will. I counted out that money, and it was, uh, there was a little more left. I got to $1,000. I said, Lily Bell, you got a thousand, it's ones and fives and tens, not anything bigger than a 20, because she had saved back grocery money and put it back each little time, saving a little dime here, a little dime there, and it was, it was wadded, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I said, you got a thousand dollars. That's what I want to give. Are you sure? I'm sure. I took it to my church board told my church board, it says, Little Bell, we hadn't even started the building from yet. She's already given the first $1,000. I said to my board, I'm expecting you to give more. If a little woman on Social Security who lives in a one-room apartment, who saves back a few dollars from a grocery bill over a period of years can accumulate $1,000, you guys who are the leaders, get ready. Get ready. I took it to the church board. I said, gentlemen, should we take this money? And like any good board, they said, yes, sir. I said, but here's what else we're going to do. I'm going to talk to our lawyer. And I'm going to have him prepare just a simple document. I'm going to sign it. And put a place for Lila Bell to put her ex that says to her, when you die, First Assembly of Mulberry is going to pay your burial expense, your funeral expense, pay for your flowers, pay for your grave plot, and pay for your headstone so that when you die, everything that you had saved up this, which was not enough money to care for it all, we're going to pay for it. And that happened when she died. But she gave out of what she didn't have. Somebody give the Lord a clap offering. Would you do that? <laughs> That's the blessing of the Lord. We understand. Faithful people embrace the Great Commission. So here's a little story quickly. It's Matthew 9, 2. Some men brought a 
to Jesus, a paralytic friend lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Being faithful to bring family and friends to the, to the Lord. Here's what I notice. Often new converts, new families bring people to church. But here's something else I notice. And ask yourself this question. When is the last time that you brought somebody to church with you because you've been talking to them about church or the Lord? When did they come in with you? The problem is we are far too unfaithful in that regard. So I'm going to encourage you to be more faithful. Now here's what happened. They brought their friend on a mat. He could have never made it to Jesus, and neither will the culture. People are not just going to wander in here because they're paralyzed by fear, paralyzed by blindness, paralyzed rejection. I mean, just think, eight to 10,000 churches closing every single year. Three million people less moving out and getting away from church today, and yet the church is vibrant. And we, we believe it. Our job ought to be, I'm going to get to everybody that I can, and I'm going to do my best. I'm going to make my goal small. At least once a month, I'm bringing somebody that doesn't know Jesus Christ or somebody that's a friend or somebody. I'm going to bring them to church with me. Make your mind up to be faithful in that regard. And when Jesus saw him, he said, listen, you are healed and your sins are forgiven. But it says that he, that he was not healed by his faith. He didn't have any. He was healed by the faith of those four men. By the faith of those four men, he was healed. There's somebody out there that the only way they're going to come to faith is because you're faithful to exercise the talents of gift. Finally, would you stand to your feet or on your feet? Faithful people build the faith of others. And I want to wait. In the last service, one of the things that I noticed, at altar time, people began to leave. Don't do that. Ever do that. The most strategic time in the service is when you give an invitation for people to respond to the Lord. Be prayerful, reverent, during this time because it's battle time right here right now you that are listening online stay right where you're at stay focused and let God speak to you faithful people build the faith of others Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 2 the things you've learned from me in my presence and in the presence of many witnesses you are to entrust to other faithful people who will also be qualified to pass it on to others. Paul said, Timothy, you've been impacted by your mom, by your grandmother, and others. You've been impacted by me. Now here's what I want you to do. Timothy, take what you've learned and pass it on to others. In other words, be sure the church grows. Be sure people come to faith. Pass it on. You, you must be faithful. And that is part of being faithful to God. It's making your mind up to say in small groups. Some of you don't have, I don't need a small group. Maybe you don't, but somebody does. You'd be surprised how many new couples and new families and new converts say, I really wish I could connect to a small group. And we're pushing big in the size of small groups. We just need more leadership. We need you to say, I can do this by the grace of God. Let something speak to you now that you begin to share it. Let them see a transparent heart. As your pastor, 
I want everybody to go to heaven. I don't want anybody to be lost. I want everybody to know Christ. So I've watched some of you, and you're new, and you're a new convert, and you're serving, and you're saying, you're doing it because you're so excited. Others of you just need to become a little more faithful. And so the message this morning, don't lose heart. Be faithful in a faithless world. See what God can do through you. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for this great congregation. I pray that you would touch many today as we talk about Rick Pion and talk about David Maines and we talk about the people in Texas and other areas there. Breathe down on them. That heating virtue flow in the name of Jesus. But now look into our hearts. Reveal to us some areas. Lord, losers don't have to worry about Losers don't have to worry about losing ground because they're losers. But winners have to be careful that the gain that they make does not take them away from the passion of Jesus Christ. Winners have to be careful that the passion that they have and the new opportunities that are coming their way so quickly they can hardly keep up with it that that can be a tool that takes them away from helping to build the local church, helping to build the family, their family, helping to maintain the convictions of devotions. I pray today in this service right now are individuals who need healing. I pray that you'll begin to move upon them. And for those who might feel conviction, which is the love of God initiated by the Holy Spirit to identify a need in my life you want to fix, let it be so now, just in case. I'm going to ask all of us in this room to pray together. And those of you online, if you'll pray with us, repeat this prayer after me. Would you do that? Dear Jesus, I have messed up. I have not been close to you. And I need forgiveness. So I ask for forgiveness. Take my heart and cleanse it. Take my mind and purify it. God, use my life as you desire. I give up serving myself. I desire to serve you. Take away from me those things that get in the way of my passion for you and replace them with the things, Lord, you have for me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer, you need to stand in for someone. I'll give the benediction in just a moment. As we sing this song, right now you come. And then we'll pray, okay? Here we go. Let's sing.